Good evening. Welcome to this evening's cheer. Sunday of Parshish Kisovoi. So we'll start off actually. I got a bit of feedback, people asking for a bit of drush also. So yesterday's Parsha, and it came up in yesterday's Shukhanar Shir, talking about the union of Malchus. So I mentioned something about Malchus being, if it's Malchus Mardus, which is for a violation of a Rabbonon, of it being 13 Malchus rather than the full 39. And I offered a theory, but I'd like to share what I did find. So we have in the Rashi, yes, yesterday's Rashi, that and on this Rashi comments, is given on the front of his body, is given a measure of, of lashes commensurate to his uh, wrongdoing. And on his back is given double as much. From here we learn the Chazam say that that when the person is given lashes, the thirteen lashes, thirty-nine lashes are divided, thirteen on the front of the body and um, twenty-six on the back. So, again, I mentioned yesterday is that there is a opinion in Rishonim that Malchus for the Rabbonon is 13 Malchus. So my search brought me back to actually a Pirish over Biestrol Isselin, known famously for his sefer called Truma Sadeshen. So he writes, he has a commentary on Rashi, as you can see at the bottom here, Biur Marois Isselin, Biestrol Isselin. So he says the impression from the Gemara is that really 13 Malkus would have been enough. But the Torah has penalized and given him another, another double, another twice 13 in addition. I heard from my Adoni Moiri HaKodesh my holy Rebbe, I heard from him that the shear of 13 is because of the age of when a person is punishable. Because Eid is punishable in Besin Shlomato from the age of 13. And therefore, that's why there's a number of 13 Malkus commensurate to the age. In Besin Shlomato, they will punish only from the age of 20. And it says in the Gemara and Be'er that there's a story about they gave Eliyahu Hanavi as a Malach, they gave him 60 lashes, lashes of fire. Which was the number of 60 because in Bezan Shalmailo, punishment is from the age of 20, and then 20, then another tw twice as much in addition, therefore it becomes 60. And this he concludes that the Makas Mardus, when it says in the Gemarambam, etc., you learn about Makas Mardus, it's also in the Al Khait, which we say on Yom Kippur, and Makas Mardus, that, that those lashes are only 13. Malchus, and that corresponds to the number of words. He says, when the oisius, means the words in the posture of Uhurachum, Uhurachum has got 13 words, 
that the Malchus, which Chachom instituted for a violation on their words, that for these they only have permission to, to punish for the actual violation, but not to give a penalty on top of it. And therefore, it's only the 13 basic ones and not the extra, um, not the extra um, 26. Just want to throw in, since we, I, I, was, I did a little bit of searching, researching on this a bit more. I wanted to find a bit more of this I didn't find any explanation in in, in Drush, etc. What I did find is that with the number 39, as it's got to do with Hashem's name, Yud Kevov. Now, there's a way of spelling Hashem's name with Miller Alfin. And the full Hashem's name, Miller Alfin, is for, yeah, equals 42. Um, that's, sorry, 46, sorry, Mishem Ma. And in, in the Hashanus, it has there, when they strike the Hashanus, he talks there about um, the Lamates, the, the shame of Yud Kevo. Which equals thirty-nine, and so you'd have the vov vov alavov is the thirteen, and then the higher ones are the yud, which is twenty, and the hey alav, which is the six. Um, I forgot to introduce that this the shear is. I'm going back to the first slide, and that the shear is dedicated in, in merit for a full shleim for Chaim Shmuel Mendel ben Chanarezel. And for the birthdays of Menachem Mendel, um, Ben Repinchas Yaakov, and Frida Basia, daughter of Repinchas Yaakov. Let's come back. So, this, so this just we just shared with you this word of the Trumas Hadeshin that there is idea of Malchus or Easter the Rabbonon is a 13 Malchus. I mentioned yesterday at the Shia that there are Terebe. In a couple of places, mentions this in letters. He uh, he mentions in one place the shame Rashi, and I was puzzled. Where does Rashi talk about this? Now I did find in the Encyclopedia Talmudis. So you have now volume Memches has the entry about Marcus Mardus, and there he gives a whole list of Rishonim Goinim. Uh, who talk about who say this chesed of thirteen malchus, and he has a reference to Sefer Hapargus Larashi. So, in addition to Rashi's commentary on the Torah and on the, on the on the Shas, there are several sforim from Rashi's Beis Hamedrash. One of the calls is called Pardus. So, apparently, this is mentioned over there. I did not look it up over there. Fine. One last thing. I was intrigued. Who is Moiri Hakodesh? Of Rebistrol Isselin. So I'm going to share with you the next slide, and that is where is the So here we have there's a, a fascinating set of Svarim called Atlas Eitzchaim, put together by someone called Rebifol Halperin. This was published like 20, 30 years ago, and he's kind of mapped out the Jewish history, and he's taken prominent personalities in the Torah um, tradition and shown who are their 
who's their family of Talmudim? Who are their, is their, their who are their Rebbes? So he has a whole page of the Truma Sadesh and Yabistrol Isselin. And here you can see that the, the upper spectrum is a list of his uh, Talmudim. I see Yabistrol Broino, Maram, Moshe Mainz are the more famous ones. But coming back to what we're looking for, who are his Rebbes? Simon is Maharil, Yabistrol Segal, I think it was Segal, who is the father of Minagashkina, so to speak. Um, the other ones are not as Marivail, who is also not as well known as, as um, Mariel. The other ones are even less well known. But these are his. So who was his Meiri Hakodesh? I don't know, but it was one of those. Let's move on. Right. So now, practical question. Someone's asking that they're trying. They've been advised to keep off gluten. And so now we've got here a Rakuzin's matzah, which is gluten-free. The question was about using this for Lecha Mishneh, for Shabbos, etc., for making hamotzi, making uh, uh, for benching. So here you have the list of ingredients: maize starch, followed by oats, followed by tapioca starch, followed by soya bran. So I don't know what the proportions are, but probably the oats are a minority. The maize starch is the first ingredient, then comes oats, and then tapioca, then soya. So it's a significant uh, component, but not a majority, probably. And so now there becomes a question for, well, what's the bracha rishoyna, what's the bracha achroyna? It's made with palm oil rather than with water. That would make it into mezoinus, because made with fruit juice. The thing is, if you're kaveya suda, so then it becomes hamoitzi. But then if kaveya suda on a small amount, you're still in 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 uh, you're still in sophic area because there are those who say when kaveya suda even a smaller amount, it becomes hamoitzi, and therefore you should have a kazayas of something else. What I did advise the, the person that if they are having a suda together with, she was a woman with her husband, say so if he makes hamoitzi and she has in mind to be yoitza, and he benches aloud and she has in mind to be yoitza. I felt that was safe. But well, I, I want to go through this carefully. What, what, what's the problem? And I think we've discussed perhaps more than once about chocolate brownies. Chocolate brownies will, let's say, be a large amount of sugar um, compared to the flour. I think it's more than the flour. I don't remember the details, but it's 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 very significant. Now, if you have just one kazais of chocolate brownie, do you say alhamichyo? And what I'd said then is that, yes, that the, the, the sugar becomes upgraded as if it becomes hamoitzi. Sorry, I was going to say it becomes mizonis. That is the case of the chocolate brownie. This case, though, is different. And I'm going to share with you the text of the Alter Ebe, where you'll see it's that here is different. Um, and perhaps let's discuss the, the logic first. Sugar and flour. Sugar is there to flavor the flour. 
to enhance the flower. Therefore, I can see a certain logic that the sugar becomes bottled to the flower and even becomes upgraded as if it were flower itself. I can, I can, I can live with that. When you talk here about starch and starch, flour and flour, so why should the oats dominate the maize? The maize is, is going to be, uh, it's not going to be, it's not the Chamesh's mini dogon, yeah? So why should the oats dominate? No, they, 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 they will be equal mechotonim. And this is, the, the, the background to this is that, that which we learn, that always grain becomes the dominant feature, so then that is, that is, that's that's in relation to honey. You might have thought, that's the notion of the Gemara. You might have thought the honey is the main thing. No, no, the, the, the flower is the main thing. But flower and flower, different types of flower, that kind of dynamic doesn't necessarily, necessarily work. Now let's read this very carefully. This is in Peirut Ches of Birchus Hanan. The Fichoch Kemach Shel Echod Mechameshes Minidogon. So you've got a grain, I've got a flour made from oats, wheat, which is now mixed with kidneys flour, as in maize, tapioca, and you know you made you've made bread, mamash our case. Assuming it's made just with water, yeah. Here we have it, it becomes a more problem because it's made with palm oil. Assuming it's made with water. So then the brok is hamoitzi shehadogon ikerafiluhumuot, because we have the general rule that the grain of chameshes vinadogon dominates the combination, even though it's a minority, as discussed in Perigimel. Kolmo koim, however, comes for the after brok. You cannot say benching for a kazayis. It would have to be that the grain flour is, which means one-sixth. As long as the flour of grain is one-sixth, which might be the case in this in this case of this month over here. We're not finished yet. So if the ratio is one to six, well, one, one to five, whatever the, the, the detail is, so then it becomes, then it dominates. And you'll make a hamoitzi, a bichas hamozen on the whole lot. On even a kazayas of the whole. But yes, there's a second opinion that says, no, no, no. My chocolate brownies, I've told you, Taka, that the sugar becomes upgraded and becomes mezoinus. But here, as far as kemach bekemach, you're not going to be able to say um, unless you ate the whole pras. If you ate six times a kazais, and during that six in there you ate the kazais of grain. So, all right, then you'll make a lot So now we have this dilemma. Assuming that you're not going to eat four of those matzahs, she's going to have one or two, so then it's unlikely that you'll have a kazais of grain, of, of, of oat grain, 
And therefore, according to the first opinion, you should be saying Bechasamozin. According to the second opinion, you shouldn't. So you're, you're in, 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 in Suffolk area. And he goes further, what would happen if the ratio is even less? There's even less flour to the to the to, to the uh, other things. It's still hamotzi, but you wouldn't say you wouldn't you'd never say because there's no way you can have a kazayis because the ratio is more than it's let's say one to seven one to eight. There's no way you can have a kazayis within the time frame of of achilas pras. But yes, and there are those who question this. And they say, Efshir, the grain should dominate. And therefore, So it's interesting, just yesterday someone told me that a friend of his, is Noyag, he has every morning for breakfast, he has these crackers, which have got a small proportion of grain, and he's making on them, he says, a brocha, let's say. And at the end, he says, Berin well, really, what we're seeing here, yes, Mr. that is questionable. So again, if it's one to six or even more of grain, then we'll also have here a problem. Because according to the second opinion, the yes, Rim, it's only if you have a whole pra, you have a kazais of grain, mamish. So therefore, that's the insane one. But if it's even, if it's a... a, a, a um, a lesser proportion of of flour, so then you're also in trouble area. And therefore, he says, keep the, those crackers should be only be eaten during the meal. So, bottom line, as I said, with this matzah, which we which we're looking at. So, bottom line is, if you're going to have um, just one or two of those, bracha would be, I think, would be mezainas unless you prefer suda. The bracha achroino. You are you're in Suffolk area, and that's why I advise the this lady that if she's eating with someone else, so then she, the other person has regular hamutsi and does a regular benching, and she will listen and will be yotze from that person's benching. Let's move on. So here, someone raised the question. Does the tkia have to be a straight sound, or could it be also going up and down? So on the screen you have from the Sefer Piskei Shuvas, that we have the general principle, kol ha-koilas k'sherin all sounds from the shoifer are valid. However, the, 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 and therefore all sounds, whether it goes up or down, it's all, all valid. He goes on and says, no, there are Gedolius Royal who were very particular about this, that the, the, the tekiah should be a straight sound, not going up and down. It brings in the notes here, you can see note 16, Rashur Leb Diskin, Robin Shalim, and he would tell them to blow again, etc. So it's it's not so straightforward. So really, it is important that the tekiah mm. should be a straight sound. I, I have my doubts whether that is if you have a long takia and in each uh, each part of it which is on a different note had enough length whether that's still a problem but okay but um there's but there is this the certainly one should try to make the takias 
a straight sound, which is generally a good ballad tkia do that. They don't go up and down in the middle of a tkia. Um Now, perhaps we've discussed this in the past, that the shvorim, which Chabad do, and that is in other words, each of the shivorim has got three notes. Goes uh, up and down, whatever, however you make it. So there's a there's a there's a explanation here, and I want to say it's not it's not unique to Chabad because I've seen also that this is also in whether it's in Brisk or whatever some other litvish shivorim also. So it was minaglita to do this type of shivorim. The advantage of this type of shvorim is that there is a whole discussion in that you mustn't make your each shever too long because then it's going to be like a short kia. Now, a short kia can be even a couple of seconds, the way you call it a, a tkia. So the vel, they do shvorim too, too, too. So arguably, these are short kias. How, how, what's the shortest kia? Which we're worried about. So the shio shortest kia would be the length of a trua. Shio kia kashio trua. So how long is the shortest trua? So according to I think Rabbeinu Tam, um, even three trumatin, three blasts, is already a trua. So therefore, a tkia, which is longer than three blasts, is already or as three as long as three blasts is already a, is already at a a short kia. On top of this, we have a very strange thing. And that is the Shittas HaRambam, which we're learning Rambam every year. It's very clear in Rambam. The Rambam says, Shia Tkiyo, because Shia Trua means that the Tkiyo Shalfono and the Tkiyo Shalachrov together should be the length of the Trua. So according to the Rambam, if the Trua is three Trumatin, Shia Tkiyo is one and a half Trumatin. And therefore, it makes it all the more of a concern that you're doing shvorim in the Weltmacht. That's they are long, longer than one and a half trumatin, even possibly as long as three trumatin. And therefore, you're getting into a trouble area that your your shvorim are going to be like like tkias. Whereas in the literature style of, of, of breaking it up in up and down, to 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 the fact that you're going up and down breaks it up into different. Uh, it's not a valid skia because it's going up and down. Well, that becomes nimso kalkolosi takanosa. Therefore, it doesn't resemble a true. Doesn't remember resemble the skia. Now I got a, a question about. There's a Lubavitcher shul somewhere in England where they blow tkias like in Chabad. And the meaning of Chabad is to have an extra blast after the shvarim. However, an extra little bit or one and a half bits after the three shvarim. And so he's asking, he's not a Chabad, he does in this Chabad shul, is he Yotzer? So the source of this extra sound at the end of the Shvarim, it's written, the Alter Rebbe brings it in Shechon Aruch, at the end of the at the end of the Shvarim, the end of the Trua, and it goes back, it's mentioned in the Bach, it goes back earlier 
to Rav Avram Kloisner, to Minhogim Avram Kloisner. It's an old minik. Now, someone told me that he was a Baltakeya in a Polish Ashtibul, and they took him to task because the Matthew Ephraim says against it. So I actually took the Matthew Ephraim, and actually he doesn't go against it. He actually mentions it, and he's okay with it. That's in, in, in Tovkuf Tzadik, if you'd give him the Matthew Ephraim, he mentions this meaning of the, this extra sound. Rabbi Megadim and others struggle with this. Bach is also not so 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 okay with it, but there is this old minhig, as I say, the Matthew Ephraim does bring it without without um, a problem with it. Um, so there is there this this minhig of having this extra thing. Now, as the Shaila is, why is that not a hefsik? Why is the extra sound not a hefsik between the shvorim? And the subsequent kia. That is the question. And so my, what I've just said till the last two minutes is that the question is not on Chabad, but the question is going back for 500 years, at least till the Rav Ram Kloisner, etc. Which we see on record that that's, this is the Minig Ashkenaz to do so in many, many kehillas. And my suggestion is that when it says that if you add another coil between the Shvorim and the Tkia, that's going to be an unwelcome interference and disruption that's only when it's with a separate breath or at least there's a little gap but if the added sound is immediately after the required sound without any interruption at all then it's not called a foreign sound which would um which would in interrupt the sequence of shvorim tkio and that's that's my suggestion to explain, but it's not a uh, not a recent innovation. It's something that's going back hundreds of years. Um, in the Mate Ephraim, in the notes, they have a reference to a sefer Eshdos, who challenges this practice. I had the chance to look this up last night. As a sefer Eshdos is a let's say from a hundred years ago, hundred um, uh, hundred to forty years ago, it was probably printed in. in uh, Piotrkov, uh, he has he, he remains with a question. He has it's a safer really about Lama Tesmalochus, but at the beginning he has a whole uh, simon at least 30, 40 pages about Tkias, and he discusses the Mati Ephraim, he discusses this point. He asks the question, which is a, a fair question. He doesn't give an answer, but I say this is uh, an old minh going up, going back hundreds of years. And so Yesh Alma Lismach. Let's move on. So here we have a, this is a, someone's asking that the only space in his property where he could put a pasukah is in this uh, parking area, I guess. And there's a tree overhanging. I asked him what time was this photograph taken? So he says it was taken at 5 p.m. So I told him, to make a photograph at midday because at uh, midday that's when the uh, Shemesh is going to be that when the sun is going to be the highest point and then you'd be able to establish whether how much of this area is going to be already under the shade of the of a tree and therefore invalidated for sukkah so I mean, if there's going to be only a sparse presence of shade from the tree then the sukkah would be valid. If it's going to be a, a, a large presence, a majority of that area, then that would that would be a problem. So 
he actually he did send me a picture taken at midday and that wasn't so uh, i wasn't so excited as you can see the area as it is at midday now the the sun is not Beresh Kol Odom at midday, unless you are mamish in the on the equator, but being several degrees north of the equator, so then the sun is going over the equator, and so the sun is really at an angle. So it's even this picture is not totally decisive, and. What he did point out to me is that he understands that the, the angle of the sun at midday, which I agree with him, is not Mamish Beresh Kol Odom, and that this shade which you can see over here um, towards the right uh, of the onlooker is actually a shade from the bushes from the side rather than from the tree on top. And if that's the case, then possibly at the back also. Um, that being the case, then the shade of the tree is actually a minority. And therefore, uh, it would be uh, it's, the sukkah would be kosher. Of course, it's uh, more mahuder to uh, to get that tree trimmed, and but it's it's uh, subject to availability. Yeah? It's, uh, it's, you have to get perhaps permission from the landlord, and if it's a neighbor's tree, it's it's not so poshered. So that's really what it boils down to. So let's learn this shuk on the halach in the shuk now he says that he talks here about this is in Topresh Chavol talking about a tree over a sukkah and how uh, if it's a small amount of shade then it would be negligible. Then he says, I'm going to just read Sif Dalad. If the shade from the if the shade of the schach is so plen so plentiful if you would deduct the equivalent so let's say it's uh, how many square foot foot how many, the amount of square footage of shade from the tree if that amount would be deducted from the square footage of the schach and still it would be uh, as if that place under the tree was was as if it was sunlight and still there'd be enough there'll be more shade than sun from the schach then it would be kosher so let's say if the if the tree covered a third of the sukkah but two-thirds of the sukkah are, are covered with dense schach so then the schach then the sukkah would still be kosher despite the fact that there's a tree covering as i say even a third of the area because there's so much more schach and so it would be still be kosher. I'm not saying it's mahudar. Of course, I would recommend to make the effort and, and cut that tree. But if that's, that's not, not possible, it would be kosher. Let's move on. So here I got, I was in conversation with the shliach in Australia uh, this past week. And since COVID, they are struggling to get their minion. And so on Monday, they didn't have a minion. And the question is, could they, on Tuesday, if they do have a minion, could they take out a Sifatoira and read the reading for Monday? So let's read this. In, this is in Simon Kuf Mem, Kuf, sorry, Kuf Lamedhe. And on the margin of the Shukhanorach, we have here a, a note called Ateres Kenim. So he writes, Venire, that if Bitlu Yoy Sheni, 
if on the Monday they miss the reading because of circumstances under, beyond their control, then they can make up for it on Tuesday. So as not to miss out Takonos Ezra, and Takonos Ezra, as discussed in Baba Kama, is that they should there shouldn't be a lapse of three days without Torah. So even though they missed Monday, but by doing on Tuesday, they will still be fulfilling Takonas Ezra. Whereas if they missed on, on Thursday, she got Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday missed. So then they've missed, they've, they've, they've lapsed beyond Takonas Ezra. And therefore there's no Takona. There's no point in doing a Kriyasa Torah on, on Friday morning. So this is a, I was very surprised. I wasn't aware of this shitta. So there is a shitta which says that you can make up, if you missed your minion on Monday morning, you can miss your Kriya Satori, you could still make up for it on Tuesday morning. Um, having said that, the Mishta Brura on this spot in Kuflamadhe in Biaralocha says that whole idea of if you missed a Kriya Satori, you can make up for it next time that's only on Shabbos. As you may know, that if Kriya Satoya was missed because they didn't have a Sivatoya last week, um, so then the next Shabbos, they could do the last week's Kriya plus this week. Uh, when when we were recovering from COVID, this was uh, a very widespread uh, uh, discussion. But he says, says Mr. Buru, that's only to make up for a missed Shabbos. But to mix, if a missed Monday or Thursday, there's no Tashlumin on the following day. And he quotes Achroinim, Kainim. So he disagrees with the Psak on, on the, the margin of the Shekhanaruch. He disagrees. Who is he referred to Achroinim? Well, one of the uh, prominent Achroinim is the El Yarabo. It's a commentary on the Levush. So there he says, uh, he brings out Teres Kainim. Then he finishes off. If you missed on Shabbos, then you missed out totally. Therefore, there's a compensation, so to speak, a uh, consolation that you'll make up next Shabbos. But if you missed on Monday, so don't 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 worry too much because on Shabbos you'll hear this you'll you'll hear the the parsha which you worried about missing it'll be read on Shabbos morning and therefore there's no call for compensation for on on Tuesday morning so that seems to be the uh, consensus of later svarim also on the other other svarim also disagree with the Ateras Kainim and they say you cannot make up on Tuesday for having missed Kriya on Monday let's move on. So now we have a story about, just let me just close the window today, Maisie. So here we have a question about a when a door was, was um, blocked. So then there's a part in, in, in the Tzavuas of Yehuda HaChosit. But he says you should not block a window or a door completely. There shouldn't be that the spirits shouldn't feel that you have violated their, their access. That's where they had access. You should make a hole. You leave a, you, in the blockage, in the blocked doorway of the window, you make a, a hole. 
here we have another edition of the Savasi Muda Chosid. This is with a commentary called Shivim Tmorim, which, if I can remember correctly, was a Talmud of Tzemach Tzedek. So he writes the same thing. But then he adds, Alayinkem Nekev Koton Boy, make a small hole. Right? So now, here we have a letter of the Rebbe, of the Fredeke Rebbe, to Remordchav Rom Yoshaya Grona, that's Rabbi Label Grona's father. Oh, this is 1948, and apparently they'd done some repairs to their house, and they'd blocked a window. So he writes that the custom is to leave a hole ketefach vocheitzi, one and a half tfochim. Uh, which is huge. Yeah, it's, it's about, uh, let's say, uh, 12, uh, 12 centimeters um, diameter. Yeah, A round hole of, of 12 centimeters. It's quite big. And then he says to put in this hole a metal pipe, and that pipe can be open on both sides. And later, you can put lids on the pipe on either end, and then you can put on, you can put on plaster over that. So this is this is uh, so the, the, this idea of having a pipe is mentioned in many many places. I think also the Rebbe Rashab, but this is the only place I can have seen he mentions about it being one and a half tfochim, um, which I find very surprising. And also um, when he talks about putting a pipe, it's quite a very you know, quite a large pipe to put in uh, a metal pipe which is one and a half tfochim uh, diameter. Meanwhile, but taking this you now. Um, when in 770 they, there's a small shul upstairs, yeah, a small zal, and there's a chedesheni, and around around Tovshin Lamed Vov, Tovshin Lamed Zion, there was some significant uh, uh, work done, and they put in book bookshelves, book and bookcases on the inside of the small room of the chedesheni. And they put up uh, this. There's the window between the two rooms, a window like um, about, let's say, okay, it's, uh, about four foot wide and three foot high. And that window was blocked. Now, when the Rebbe came in, he saw that they'd done this, and he commented to to Chaim Bor Halberstam, who was responsible for the works, that they should make a hole. And although that was really made in a way that was removable, because when it came out of Yom Kippur, all of those bookcases were taken out, and that the the blockage the, uh, of that window was taken away, so that the bochrim could also be in the chedesheni and be able to see the Rebbe for the bracha just before Kondidre. But nevertheless, the Rebbe wanted it to be, and the Rebbe said to make a small hole, which is interesting. And one suggestion is that. Some poskim say that this need to make a, uh, a a hole is only when you've demolished the whole remains. No, there's no no architrave, no no door frame. You've taken away, mamash made it into a wall. But if you've still kept the original frame, then you'd, you you would need to make a hole. So possibly the devil was relying on that. That because it wasn't really a total blockage uh, of that of that uh, window, therefore it's enough to have a small hole. But let us come back to the what's the cheshbon of here's the letter of the Rebbe of Rebbe of one and a half tfochim. 
what's the reason for the size of one and a half spachim? So what I want to suggest is we have a halacha about oil hatuma, And if there's a mace in one room and a coin wants to go into the other room, where the two rooms are adjacent to one another, if there is a window between the two rooms, which is the size of a tefach al tefach, so then that connects the two rooms and therefore the coin couldn't come into the other room because of the window, which is tefach al tefach. So what we're seeing here is that tefach al tefach serves to connect two premises into become as into as a one room. The late Rav Ashkenazi, uh, he came up with this a similar explanation about the mikveh, the Rebbe Rashab's style of building a mikveh, Be'er al-Gabe Be'er. So in order to connect two mikvahs, the rainwater with the, with the, with the uh, regular water, normally the requirement is what's called Kishreferes Hanoid. Kishreferes Hanoid may be like two fingers, two inches is, is more than enough according to this. And the Rebbe Rashab said it should be a tefach by tefach square. So why is it such a large hole? So there is another shear of Kamoitzi Rimoin that some say that for to connect it shouldn't be uh, shouldn't that the shuvin should become kosher it has to kamoitzi rimen but why does it have to be square? So Rav Ashkenazi came up with this idea perhaps he got it from someone else but he, he wrote about this that you want that the lower mikvah and the upper mikvah should become like one entity it's not as if to connect to our two separate bodies which are just touching it's like one 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 uh, chamber and by having a tefach al tefach square. Uh, so then it's, it becomes like one chamber. Now, if you have something, a square, which is one by one, so the diameter will be 1.4. So 1.4 is, if you're talking about a, a, a circle, which is one and a half across, it's just a, that little bit bigger than 1.4 across. Um, so possibly the reason for the tefach, um, the one and a half tefach diam uh, uh, diameter circle is so that it should be a tefach al tefach. That's just much offering a theory. Uh, if someone has a better explanation, I'm happy to hear. Um, you can also demolish this and say if it's important to be a tefach al tefach, why did he say it should be a circle and one and a half? Why doesn't he say to make it a square, which is one by one? So I don't know the answer to that. Just. Um, um, giving this suggestion if someone as i say i'm happy to hear uh, other explanations let's move on so here this past week i got a, a question from a shliach that he has a young man who has become about is putting on film every day and he he has he has uh, tattoos he had tattoos on his upper arm and there's no obligation to remove a tattoo. It's Isur, Raisa, to make a tattoo, but to remove it is not an obligation. But he was, I guess, self-conscious, and he went through a procedure to remove the tattoo. So now his question is, should he put the tefillin on top of them after the procedure till it heals? He has this bandage over his arm. Does he put tefillin on, on top of the bandage, as in the picture, or should he put tefillin on the other arm Etc. So this is a very interesting um, discussion here. Now there is a Rashba which is brought in Simichov Zion about a person who's suffering. He gets catches colds very easily. So he talks about putting his tefillin 
on top of a thin yarmulke. He has a koiva dark, and he puts the yarmulke on, and he puts the tefillin on top of the yarmulke, then the, it's, he can feel the tefillin, so I remember exactly the words are, um, and that, then he could make a bracha even. A thicker, uh, a thicker cap, which the feeling of the tefillin wouldn't come through, that you wouldn't, wouldn't be valid. So what's the story about the shelyat? Does, does the heter of the Rashba, who says you can be yotzah tefillin through a thin yarmulke, does that apply to the shelyat also? So now you all know that the Kohen Godel, we've discussed this some weeks ago, it says that there was a space between the tzitz and, um, uh, and between, between the tzitz and the mitznefes, and the turban, there was a space for the tefillin. So the Kohen Godel wore tefillin shelroish. He didn't wear tefillin shelroish. Why is that not okay? Why not? Because the tefillin would be serving as an interruption between the skin and the garments. You can't wear tefillin shalyat. There's also here, there's a lotion um, about a person wearing tefillin al-base unkali. You shouldn't not have to wear tefillin on your sleeve because it says l'chala ois. So there's some, there seems to be some greater objection to wearing tefillin on the uh, the arm, the hand tefillin on the sleeve to, in comparison to the shalrosh. Now let's read the Alter Rebbe a bit more carefully. He says, if a person, the earlier Sifim has been talking about the person who's got a problem with uh, his uh, catching cold and wearing a, a thin cap on his head under the tefillin. And then he talks about tefillin shalyad. He's got a wound there. He should still put on the tefillin there um, because the space but if, let's say, the, the, the wound is so large, it covers the whole area of the tefillin, so then, okay, then it's potter. It's interesting, yeah? It's very, very interesting that a person mitzayr, he's not saying he's sakonos nefosh, it's mitzayr. He's mitzayr, he's, he's also going to be exempt of, of wearing the tefillin. Right. Then he says, but if possible, put some bandages on the wound and put the tefillin on top of them. Beloi and then he says, Rakshi is Zohir, the Chasis is at Philin. Shayad, Shalita He Nires. It says, Lacholois, Lacholoila Herinois. So let's read this carefully. Even if you'd say that the Philin are valid if they are on a sleeve, but it has to be covered because it says impossible. And from this we learn that it mustn't be on the sleeve. All right, if there is a sleeve, but then it's going to be covered. Then it's still considered lecholoi because you covered it. The others shouldn't see. So now one of the mafarshim here says, "Why did the koyanim? Why did they? Oh, here it's, uh, it's the Morgan Avram. Why did the koyanim not wear tefillin on their sleeves? If you say it's valid, so then they should have put the tefillin on their sleeves. The answer is because if you wear tefillin on the sleeve, you have to cover it because of lecholoi. They can't cover it because." They, if they cover it, there's an extra garment. They're only allowed to wear the four garments. So that's why the koyanim could not wear tefillin on the sleeve. But here, if a, if a, if a regular person has to wear tefillin on, on a thin sleeve, then he'd be obliged to cover it up. But that's all according to the Rajber, that, that it's still valid. Others would say that it's not valid. It has to be directly on the, on the skin. Therefore, what the advice... I said in, in conclusion is that this fellow should put on the tefillin on the bandage, but not say a bracha until he puts on the shalrosh. 
and he'll say the bracha al mitzvah tefillin, and he'll have in mind for the shaliyad also if there's a chiv to put on if he's become kaima mitzvah, so the bracha al mitzvah tefillin will come with the shaliyad, which, by the way, I think is the important point. Very often, you mitzvahim, you come to a person the shumay, and they're not ready to un to unroll their sleeves, but shaliyad shaliyosh shalrosh they'll agree with, but not to do a shaliyad. What bracha do you do then? So the answer is the bracha would be al mitzvah tefillin. Person only wearing a shalrosh would be al mitzvah tefillin. In this case, we don't know whether he's mekayim the mitzvah with the shalyad shalrosh is mekayim. So we should make the bracha al al mitzvah tefillin. Um, Rabinchus is commenting that a tefach plus hole in the floor of a mikveh could be quite dangerous. Yes, and that's why it's normally done. One way of doing it is uh, I've many, many done many mikvahs with Reb Gersh and Grossbaum. And he does the hashoka under the stairs. So there's the manhole where there is the entry to the lower bore is under the stairs. And therefore, you have the hashoka over there. And that's that's safe. Usually, or you know, even if otherwise it's done very, very much at the corner in a way that it should, should be safe from people um, stepping into the hole. Let's move on. So here's someone, one of our listeners, listens to the recordings, and he was traveling and he's asking, he has to leave the house um, before sunrise. And so he has the option of davening at the airport or davening at home before before leaving, but it will be before sunrise. So unfortunately, many of, uh, many people have it during winter, they have to daven before sunrise. But he's obviously normally con con um, conscientious about this. But here we have the Shukhanaruch and Simon, uh, I think it's Simon Peites, where he says, Whether whether on foot or whether with a, a carriage or a, a boat, and they're not going to wait for you. So then, um, so then he says, Yochel mispalum mishaola mudashachar. You can daven from an esser from Alosa Shachar. Koydim says so. So if it's Bishas Adchak, you can daven Shmona Esra from before sunrise. And that's be preferable than davening, obviously, davening in the airport. He asked me about davening one of these prayer rooms. And I'm not really keen about those. Uh, you never know who, you, who you're going to end, end up next to you, praying to whoever. Uh, I could daven anywhere in the airport and find a quiet corner, but certainly davening at home would be more yeshiv hadas and therefore preferable, even though it's going to be um, earlier than you'd normally daven. He also discussed that he would daven until after yeshtabach without tals and tefillin, and then between yeshtabach and yoytzer, there he'd stop and put on his tals and tefillin with a brocha, they asked me what about saying the bracha, the psukim of Borchinafshi and Mayokor. And I felt that wasn't really a problem, just like we, during a seres mitshuva, we say, Shamals mi ma'amakim, after Yishtabah, before Yoytzer. So these are psukim, and I didn't think it was really such a concern. You'll have to be mafsik there, ledvar mitzvah. And therefore, to say those psukim, which are said normally with Atifas Atfil, I felt was justified. Let's move on. Um, we did have a discussion some time ago about a father being sandic twice or a grandfather being sandic twice. Whilst I was doing some research for about the mikvah story, so um, 
we've heard about the tefach al tefach, which I mentioned just uh, when we're talking about the hole in the wall. So uh, I remember that this is in the sefer from Rabbi Plotkin. There's a sefer called Biruri Halochas from Rabbi Plotkin. That's Rabbi Elia. He was a very uh, great Talmud Chacham. He's at the back of his sefer. He's got a kuntras on the voice. I read it. I was really amazed how he managed to put together such a his 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 wealth of references in communist Russia, how he had access to all of these dozens and dozens of sforim and to know them. I was really amazed with what, what he's put together. But meanwhile, he says, uh, I saw he has quite a few comments about Svarsim Buddha Chosid, and he talks about a father being a sandik twice for his, so according to various reasons, it's not such an issue. But according to, uh, nevertheless, he quotes from Chosan Soifer, that it's the minig is that even for oneself, one wouldn't be sandik for, for two children, uh, for two sons. Um, yeah. One last thing is that last week we spoke about the brick being used as a doorstopper, and the main focus of the discussion was about whether the brick is muksa, and whether you'd have to be miyachadit l'oilom, or if it could be even miyachad just for the one Shabbos. What I did not address clearly was that the brick was obviously outside. People, a couple of people asked, how could he take the brick from inside to the outside? It's Isra of taking out from Shusa Yochet It's absolutely right. And my understanding of the question was, those bricks are on the side of the house, outside, on, on the street. Um, and that was the question. All right, I'll stop with that. I wish you a good night. And uh, thank you for joining us. And... Uh, if you wish you all a ksiver, 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 a ksi